Hello and welcome to another edition, episode number 19 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. We are talking today about linear and rotational hitting. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, joining me as always, renowned hitting instructor, professional evaluator, my former coach, friend, and co-host, Jake Epstein, live and in living color. Jake, hello. Good morning. <laughs> and good morning to you. So this should be kind of a, a fun topic that that used to be so polar polarizing and, and opinionated, you know, uh, left and right spectrum yeah. type politics when it came to hitting. So hopefully we can smooth things out, you know, over the last 15 years, I think it's quieted down a little bit. Yeah, try to figure it Well, there's been new battles that have sort of spun off oh, yeah. on, on Twitter and Instagram with hitting now, so... But certainly, I think the linear versus rotational hitting battle, as you mentioned, has, has calmed down a little bit. A couple of questions before we start and dive into our topic I want to ask you about. I saw something about Todd Helton, and you certainly followed a lot with the Rockies, especially during Todd Helton's career. Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he is. I think so. I, I think if you put the numbers up, you know, he's 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 definitely a Hall of Famer, you know, for for what he did you know, for the, for this town and the longevity here and, you know, playing for one team is a, is a pretty cool thing. So, um, you know, I, I think if you play for a long time and you're a pretty consistent player, your number numbers will match up. But, you know, when you have hitting titles, you know, in there, I, I think that makes for a pretty big argument that you were, you know, it, a master of your craft during your era, during your time. Yeah, four-time all-star, four-time Silver Slugger Award winner, five-time All-Star, won a batting title. Uh, amazingly enough, he his last All-Star game he played until 2013. His last All-Star game was 2004. He did not go to the All-Star game from 05 to 13, which is I don't know, kind of astounding to me because in 2011, for example, he hit 302. In 2009, he hit 325. He hit 320 in 2007. By the way, he's a career 316 hitter in 17 seasons, and he has 2,519 hits, 369 home runs. I, I would think that's qualifications for <laughs> for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's close. You know, he, he doesn't have the 3,000 hits, and he doesn't have the 500 home runs, right, that, you yeah. know, really solidify, okay, you're in. You know, where it's it's kind of a no-brainer. He's definitely, you know, on the cusp, on the bubble. So he's not a uh, first but, ballot Hall of Famer, but yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, first yeah. ballot guy. But you look at, you know, Larry Walker just finally got in, right? Right. You right. know, you, you could kind of compare those stats. You know, and and people that Helton was a really good, you know, first baseman as well, defensively. Um, yeah. 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 So. Um, I'm just yeah, looking you know, at these. I, I'm, I'm not a voter, so I couldn't tell you. I'm just looking at these numbers, uh, and I, I'm enthralled by the by some of them. I mean, these are some really good numbers. By the way, the voting process of of the Hall of Fame to me has has just become draconian, and I think it has to change. If you were to change the voting process, who would you have actually voting? Because they have sports writers or ex sports writers who are covering the game in the '80s and the '70s and even the early '90s who aren't doing that anymore who are voting for guys to get into the Hall of Fame. And how Vin Scully doesn't still have a Hall of Fame vote, to me, is, I don't know, astounding. And how some executives, by the way, like a Pat Gillick or a Ruben Amaro Jr., um, how they don't have a vote, to me, is kind of um, a head-scratcher, I guess. I think it'd be fun to have a panel of peers, you know, a panel of, 
maybe maybe Hall of Famers themselves, you know, guys that played in similar eras yeah. as those, or maybe right before. Um, but I think it would be great to have people that were immersed in those players' lives, you know, guys yeah. that were that maybe shared the battlefield with them, you know, day in and day out during during their tenure. Yeah, um, that would be really cool. You know, again, not you know that that, that isn't you know one hundred percent of the weight, but maybe a portion of the weight. You know, and, and getting back to Helton and not making the All Star team, you know, that was a time of really big home run. Hit, you know, first baseman. Good point. Um, yeah. And and he wasn't. You know, late in his career, as he as he got a little bit older, the home runs weren't there. You know, he he didn't have that power, and he's playing a home run position. He's playing a home run position. You know, at elevation. You know, where guys are expected they really hit forty home runs, and he he wasn't doing that. And so you know, he got he got passed over by guys that, you know, really were paid for power. Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't know. Maybe maybe the All Star Game is a little flawed too, though. I don't know why, because the Yankees always vote. You know, they well, have more Jeter fans got than in, everyone else. And... Jeter in his last year, <laughs> Jeter in his last year got in. 2014 got into the All Star Game and was certainly was not his best year, but it was just because the fans voted. Yeah, it's, it's like the popular vote in politics. Maybe they should have yeah. an electoral college for yeah. for, <laughs> for the All Star Game. <laughs> Jackie Robinson Day uh, passed yesterday. Uh, well, Saturday. What's mm-hmm. today? Sa- Saturday. We're yeah. recording this on a Sunday. This is out Monday. Uh, Jackie Robinson Day was was um, actually it was Friday, I think. Well, it was this weekend, and uh, always a fun day. All the players wearing number forty-two. Jackie Robinson broke a lot of barriers. Um, one of the barriers that he broke was the athletic barrier. I thought in the game of baseball, and it changed the way the game of baseball was played because he was so athletic. He played four sports for God's sakes at UCLA. Yeah, we talked about right. him on this show before, and we might have an episode uh, in the future on Jackie Robinson, kind of breaking down his swing a little bit because I think when you look at it, uh, or at least talking about his career and a little bit about his swing, I think when you look at it, uh, it's a very um, sound fundamental swing. But what kind of impact do you think Jack, on the field, Jackie Robinson? We know what he had off the field, the kind of impact. What kind of impact do you think he had on the field and the way the game was played and how it sort of shifted into being more of an athletic-type game that eventually in the 60s, 70s, 80s led into the Ozzie Smiths and the Roberto Clementes of the world starting to come in and bring their athleticism to what were now these these turf fields and just overall in the game of baseball, their athleticism that they brought every night. Yeah, I think Jackie brought chaos on the bases yeah. and in the box. You know, I mean, he you get somebody in there that can do those kinds of, you know, I mean, can steal bases, can get get into rundowns and get out of rundowns get, yep. you know he steals home can push a bunt can drag a bunt um I, I think it it creates tension on a defense you know anytime somebody you know with that that kind of ability steps into the batter's box it makes people think a little bit more right you know now guys are drones okay this guy comes up let's check a card everybody shipped to this position right <laughs> and i think when when jackie came into the league and because he could do so many things you know that's that's what it, it caused like uh, you know it caused guys to be on their toes a little bit more it caused pitchers to maybe think a little bit more instead of just hitting a spot now they had to field their position a little bit you know um more aggressively you know they had to get to the ball quicker and um I, I would have loved to have seen it. You know, I would have loved to have seen it right when he came into the league. Yeah. I, I think that would have been 
pretty pretty amazing feeling and, and not just historic for for that but you know just to to watch the brand that he brought you know to the Dodgers I, you know I, I saw a part of 42 not too long ago and I saw the scene where Pee Wee Reese who was the shortstop at the time for the Dodgers went up to Jackie Robinson and said do you want me to wear 42 tomorrow uh, and they won't know the difference between our skin color. And uh, he was playing. I, 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 again, this is just off the, pretty much off the point of what the scene was trying to trying to profess to everybody. But he was playing. Jackie Robinson was playing first base. I don't. I didn't know that he was a first baseman. I, I've seen the movie a couple of times. It kind of just slipped right over my head. But it's listed on his baseball reference page that he was a second baseman, third baseman, right, and first right. baseman. He was only 5'11". I didn't know he he played a lot of first base in his career. And, and you, neither did I, you know, when I when I watched that scene. And whenever I see that scene, I think of, you know, uh, when I was just watching some baseball the past few days and everybody is wearing number 42, yeah. you know. And it's so cool because it is the same thing. And you're, you think to yourself, who is that? Yeah. Like, who? Who's hitting? Who's hitting right now? There's no name. It's just a 42. Everybody's got a 42. Yeah. And then that scene is is so historic, and that's a great movie. Yeah, I, I'd be remiss to uh, not mention that Chadwick Boseman, who played Jackie Robinson, passed away the other day. He passed away on Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. Day, and that was some. Uh, there's some good symmetry in life, and some at times very, very sad and, yeah. and quite frankly nasty symmetry in life. He died of cancer, so uh, I really um, everybody. Um, talks about him in the Black Panther. Well, I remember him from from mm-hmm. Jeff from 42, the, the great job he did playing Jackie Robinson. So rest in peace to him. Um, Jackie Robinson Day this past weekend, and we're gonna, going to try to do an episode later on, um, probably sometime uh, in the winter, on Jackie Robinson and the impact in his career and, and what he did for the game of baseball. And now we know that he played first base, and he played it more often than than not. That's right. We'd have to, we'll have to check out his footwork. Yeah. I don't know. I, his athleticism, I think, wasted first base. And they say base. first basemen aren't athletes. I was going to say, on. I mean, I, why wasn't he playing more of the outfield? Okay, let's get into, <laughs> I don't know. Let's get into <laughs> today's topic, linear against rotational hitting. And don't be, um, don't forget to sub- uh, like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't be a stranger. We would love to hear from you. Reach out via email, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com, or social media at jimtara at epsteinhitting. Uh, this is a topic today that we planned a couple of months back, and we planned it because there are two polar opposites, linear hitting, rotational hitting, two different terms, two different hitting styles coined and mastered by Charlie Lau, um, who's no longer with us, rest in peace, and Mike Epstein, your father, respectively. And I said a couple of weeks back that I was reading Swing Kings, the book, and I still am, and I, I want to reiterate again that you guys, Mike and Jake, not being mentioned in that book, quite frankly, is a disgrace on Jared Diamond's part. And Jared's welcome to come on the show anytime. I mean, we won't bite. We'll have certainly a conversation. But uh, the fact that you guys aren't mentioned in the beginning where there's kind of a hitting tree of coaches, so to speak, to me is awful. But Charlie Lau is mentioned. And God rest his soul, he's got a part on that hitting tree. And I think you and, you and your dad certainly should, too. But um, I, I think... When you look, at you guys not being in the book sort of shortchanges rotational hitting a little bit. But we did the book did get into linear hitting and what it meant for some players. What did it mean? Because you lived through it, and so did your dad. What did it mean back in the day, linear hitting? How much of a 
changing of the guard was it for the offense? We know it, that numbers took a hit in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and how much did it get away from rotational hitting, and why was it something that even was developed? You know, my dad played with Charlie, I believe, with the Orioles. And I think Charlie was a, I don't know if he was, you know, he was a infielder. Was he an infielder? Anyway, kind of like a, you know, fourth outfielder kind of guy or yeah. utility infielder kind of guy. And, you know, my dad would say, you know, I used to watch Charlie hit these little soft line drives, you know, to the opposite field all the time in BP. And that's just you know, kind of the the player that he was, and he was a really bright guy, mm-hmm. um, and and he could dictate what the technique was or what he was feeling or, you know, how to teach it. And, you know, when it came out, you know, when he came out with his book, the, the Art of Hitting 300, and he was a big league, you know, hitting coach, I believe at the time, probably with the White Sox, or maybe he was with the Royals at that time. Sure. Um, and, and he used George Brett as an example, who was a, you know, a fantastic hitter, and um, they were, you know, I remember there was a quote, you know, from George Brett about, you know, Charlie was like a father, you know, to me, like we were, they were really close, you yeah. know, with their relationship. And, um, and when you would look at, at, at Brett hit, you know, he put all his weight on his back leg and then he had a pretty big stride forward mm-hmm. and then he would let go with one hand. Um, but if you look at the, the true book and the definitions that he has in there and, and what he was working, working for, I mean, linear hitting was you get all your weight on your back foot. Um, like, you know, 80%, and then you transfer it all to your front side. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant, you know, more of a drift forward where you're moving in a straight line towards the pitcher, um, and you're trying to get your barrel on the plane of the pitch. So that wasn't – it wasn't like he was uh, talking about swinging down or anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's where people get mistaken. You know, linear hitting was they, they wanted to stay on plane with the pitch, and Charlie thought that the best way to do that was to just keep your weight going towards the pitch so that your barrel could kind of stay towards, you know, the ball. And then, you know, the top hand release was so that you didn't roll over. You know, you could kind of keep the barrel in the zone, you know, longer. That was kind of their big thing. So, you know, that was that was linear hitting and it, it, it took over because he was uh, vocal and, and really there weren't hitting coaches, I don't think, prior to, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. 1970, maybe 75, something like that. It was just, you know, guys, Hey man, you should really let the ball get a little deeper. You know, Hey, take a few of the other, take a few of the other. I remember my dad telling me when he was playing with Oakland, you know, Joe Rody was like in a terrible slump or something. I think it was like 1971. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was like after, you know, my dad had played for Williams. Um, it was first year there. And, and uh, my dad was like, why don't you just close your stance down and try to hit the ball to right field? You know, yeah. and Rudy did it and got hot and never changed. Like he always had a close stance and hit the ball. Like that was his, that was kind of his go-to. And uh, you know, but that, those were the hitting coaches. They were the the people on your team that were helping you. Uh, right. You know, your right. teammates that were maybe seeing something different. Not necessarily a dedicated coach like there is today. So you know, Charlie came out. He was an actual hitting coach. That's all he did, and he was articulate with his words, and he, he got people to kind of buy in and. And there was some success there with, you know, um, you know, I, I, with with Brett and the book and then with the White Sox. Um, and then you had, uh, what's his name, uh, Hereniak. Walt Hereniak was kind of his disciple. Yeah, that, I was going to ask, who uh, are his, like, kind of disciples and who branched off to start to teach his his philosophy? I think it was Hereniak. And, and, and honestly, Hereniak, maybe Hereniak? was the one with the White Sox and then the Red Sox. I really don't know the whole tree behind it, but it, it was definitely Walter Ineac. Mm-hmm. Um 
And Tony La Russa was somewhat vocal on it, too, because he had played for the White Sox. So I don't know if he was a Hrniak guy or a Lau guy. Again, I'll have to research that one. Um, but then you had guys like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the Red Sox guy. They had a catcher. Rich Gedman, you know, kind of had that swing. Um, you know, Jim Rice did not. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, of other other outfielders from the from the 80s. Maybe Fred Lynn, not really. I mean, he was rotational. But if you right. look at um, – you know, if you look at the the term rotational, right? Like my dad, you know, finally told me this well after the the revolution, if you will. Rotational was a marketing word. Like he he said, we had to get hitting. He and Williams said we got to get hitting back to the way it was. Hitting is hitting. Hitting isn't this, you know, just serve something to the opposite field. It's you know, it's an offensive move. We're trying to drive balls, and so the opposite of linear, my dad thought was rotational. So when he came out with his stuff in the late nineties, he called it rotational hitting and it stuck because it was so drastically different than, you know, kind of what was being taught of, you know, chopping down again, the chopping down really wasn't a, a, a linear type move, but it was associated with it, you know, and, and coming forward, having a big weight shift to your front side. Well, Hey, maybe we should stay back all sure. those kinds of things. So, you know, rotational was, was that, you know, it was just boom. Hey, here's a different word. Um, but as my dad put it, it's it's hitting. It's hitting how it was. Yeah. This this is what we did. You know, we didn't hit like this. You know, we didn't flip balls the other way all the time and try to hit balls on the ground. That that wasn't part of the game. So, you know, let's figure out a way to get it back. You hear so many coaches nowadays talk about that one player that they've worked with and they've had success with. And it sort of helps feed their narrative that they understand how to teach hitting and understand what it really is. And no disrespect to Charlie Lau, senior and junior, but it seems like George Brett was their guy that they taught oh, yeah. and they had success with, and they rode that they rode his back to their hitting philosophy. But with rotational hitting, again, it's just a, a term that was coined by you and your dad and Ted Williams. That's still it's prevalent today, ninety with ninety eight percent of major league hitters in today's game. So it's something that has stuck around. The longevity of it is ten times more phenomenal. Than, than linear hitting has been. So linear hitting, to me, really shouldn't, when you think about it, and, and people listening to this, I think you'd come to the conclusion it shouldn't really even be in the same discussion as rotational hitting based off what you're saying and based off the amount of players who don't do it at all anymore. It's really not. A, I mean, it's it's really not. You know, even George Brett didn't have. You know, he blocked his front side. So, you know, even rotational hitting, even though that it was a you know rotational, and, and people thought, oh, you just like turned. Yeah. You know, you just spun, or you know, like Barry Bonds just kind of you know rotated and turned. There, there's still a weight shift. Like if you go back to all my dad's stuff, it's you weight shift to a balance point and then you rotate around a stationary axis. That's kind of where rotational hitting comes from. And, sure. um, you know, people just took it, oh, no, you can't weight shift. You're just going to collapse your backside because you know, that's what they saw and that's what they thought and that's what they want. And that's fine. You know, everybody's got their, their own opinion. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at George Brett, he had a weight shift. He dropped his front heel. His head did not move forward after heel plant. He blocked his front side and straightened his front leg and rotated around the axis. Well, if you look at his pictures in The Art of Hitting 300, he has a bent front knee. He has a closed stance. All his weight is on his front foot at point of contact. His wrists are rolled at the point of contact. They have the worst pictures ever. <laughs> like, you could never yeah. – there's never been a hitter 
that's ever looked like that at point of contact, yeah. you know, and here's George Brett, like all of famer, you know, posing in those positions. And then, you know, you, you pull up some video of him and you're like, dude, he had such a great swing yeah. and it looked nothing like those pictures. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, um, you know, it's could, could, you know, if, if my dad was the hitting coach for the Royals at the time and he's like, Hey George, do you think we could do a book on rotational hitting? He'd probably be like, yeah, Mike, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you want me to do? You know I mean? It's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, who you're, who you're, you, who you're around and who you're comfortable with and, and who you want to help out. So, I mean, I even remember stuff about, uh, Mark McGuire, you know, like because of, uh, because of Tony LaRusso, you know, Hey, I'm, cause McGuire had a one arm follow through, you know, and, yeah. you know, talking about linear hitting, I'm trying to swing down and, come forward it's like well that's not even linear hitting you know maybe come forward it would be like people just didn't really know exactly what it was but they were LaRusso's like oh well you know I'm Hereniak and Lauer my guy so I'm going to talk to Mark McGuire on this and 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 so on and so forth so that's kind of how things go forward but um, you know sometimes you have to take an opposite approach right you have to go 180 degrees from you know something called linear and that's where the word rotational came from so let's talk about rotational hitting a little bit. I've mm-hmm. kind of already touched on it, but a couple of key factors to a successful rotational swing. Torque, bat leg, hand path, getting on plane with the pitch, rotating around an axis, getting that extension. I'll let you explain um, what rotational hitting means to you, though. Um, you're, you're the expert here, but um, what have you and your dad been teaching for years that I just missed with rotational hitting, just to give some more context and the difference between the two? Uh, well, the the Ted Williams said three things um, that, and that's kind of what he what he taught taught my dad. Um, where you know, what are the three attributes of of hitting? You know, what do all three? You know, what do all hitters, successful hitters, do? And and one was, you know, the hips lead the hands, right? So the hips have to lead the hands, and that that is torque. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is this the separation of your torsos. The other one is you have to stay inside the ball. Okay, mm-hmm. so staying inside the ball has so many different connotations, right? And, and, and people think, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, it usually means that the knob is inside the barrel when you go to rotate. Okay, so that means bat lag. You have to have bat lag, um, which means the the barrel is behind the knob and you're leading with the knob so you can set up barrel release. Um, and then the third one is you have to be on plane of the pitch. Okay, which is anywhere from you know, a downward angle of uh, maybe four degrees, three degrees on really high spin rate fastballs to, you know, maybe 12 or 15 degrees on, 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 uh, on some breaking balls. So those were the three attributes. How we teach those attributes consistently is, you know, what makes a good hitting instructor. So those were the three, the pillars of rotational hitting, which was, hey, you know, this was Ted Williams. Maybe we should like listen to what this guy said versus a guy that was a you know, a utility infielder in the big leagues, right? Like, I mean, this is arguably the greatest hitter of all time, and people just kind of, I don't know, they just dismissed him because he wasn't uh, loved in the press. Okay? He wasn't a he wasn't a warm and fuzzy kind of guy that yeah. was going to have a great conversation with sports writers, right? <laughs> hey, this is how I did it. 
this is how it is. If you don't like it, you can piss off, right? That was his <laughs> attitude. So, um, you know, but but that's what it is, yeah. So uh, how we get players to, to do that, you know, and, and sometimes I have to tell players, I need you to get your lead forearm up. I need you to swing up more to get on plane. And sometimes I have to tell players, I need you to pull the knob down more. I need you to get your forearm down more. It's all to fit in that perfect mold, and you can't teach all people the same. And that's that's what makes information information and good coaches good coaches. They have the ability to know what the end goal is, to know what those absolutes are, and to get the player to do it. Yeah. And it's different with every single player. So, um, you know, those would be, the, the obviously, the three absolutes. Um you know, how, how we get them to do it. You know, I have all my players. I, I will tell you this. I haven't used the term rotational hitting with any of my players in probably 10 years mm-hmm. um, because of its, you know, people, it's polarizing, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, association, right? You know, people, oh, that, just like I haven't said, you know, hey, linear. I haven't said either of those. I just call it hitting and, and I'll show a big leaguer, hey, here's, Here's here's A Rod. I mean, he was a pretty good hitter. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. What does A Rod say to do? He says you got to swing down. You got to whatever. You know, one arm follow through. You got to stay on top of the ball. And then you look at his video, and he looks awesome, right? He's yeah. coming up through it. He stays behind it. Um, but that's what he thought, and that worked for him, right? And then you have somebody like Joey Votto at the other end of the spectrum. That's like or Donaldson. I'm gonna. Well, I, I don't think Donaldson as much as Javado is like, I'm going to try to drop this barrel as much as I can to play cricket, you know, and that works for me. Yeah. And so I don't know. That's why hitting is hitting is so fun because there's every player has different things they need to work on. And as a coach, you have to be able to identify those and know what's best for that certain player. I have two questions for you that I'll ask after the break because we've reached the midway point of the show. Uh, but kind of questions that connect to what you just said right there. Good stuff. Let's take a time out and discuss our online hitting certification courses. Your online hitting certification courses coming up this fall in October. I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to that and uh, how they can sign up. So uh, it's we're actually doing it in person. Um, the the online certification, you know, we've we've been putting that together and building it, but people love the in person one. So we are doing the in person certification training for uh, coaches, instructors. You know, we'll have we'll have some high school coaches, we'll have college coaches, we'll have amateur coaches, uh, and we'll have a ton of parents. Um, I would say usually it's mostly you know a parent that has two or three kids, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to invest in myself. I got to cage in the backyard my my kids can play i want to be able to help them growing up so we'll do that down at the lab in in college station it'll be the best one yet because of the technology and the facility we have down there so looking forward to that in october again you know i I know a lot of my guys that have already attended certification listen to the podcast so you guys can you know drop me a line drop me an email and i'll get you that that coupon code because it's half price to recertify and go through that training again that's right so log on to epsteinhitting.com and visit the epstein hitting facebook page uh, to sign up do we ever decide if we're going to do an episode uh, live and in living color I want to. I got to see if I got enough bandwidth down there. We may have to just record it and then post uh, part of it. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah, that's what, they, that's what they'll pay for. They'll pay for the um, the video recording of our podcast. Okay, you're recertified. See you later.
There you go. Yeah, just us, you know, having coffee, just, talking about baseball. Yeah, shooting, shooting the shit, as they say. That's it. That's it. All right, let's get back to the topic here: linear versus rotational hitting. Which I, you mentioned it just there moments ago. Two terms that really aren't um, used all that much. This is episode number nineteen. The one question, I had two questions, but the first one I want to ask. You mentioned the new technology that's involved now and how you evaluate a player's swing. How hard was it for you to integrate that new technology with your teachings when all of this was starting to come about? You know, anything has a learning curve. So just learning the technology itself was the learning curve. Um, I started using video pretty early. And, you know, my dad, even in his first videotape, uh, do we teach what we really see? He stopped players in the torque position when their hips would lead their hands. Yeah, I mean, everybody, every Hall of Famer that you could ever imagine, right? It was like Babe Ruth and then the time all the way up to like Ken Griffey Jr. Right. When, you know, that was probably the, you know, the late 90s or so when that came out. And so, you know, I I was accustomed to the video. He, he worked with a company in the late 90s called Biokinetics, mm-hmm. and it was in Orange County, California, and I'm trying to remember the, the gentleman's name. I think it was, um, I can't remember his name. Is it Tony Statham? Anyway, I can't remember the name, but uh, it was it was a lab, and they had all kinds of great stuff. That's where all the stick figure stuff came from in his, his video, too. So it took players' movements, put it into stick figures. Tom House was there at the time. Mm-hmm. So Tom would do, like, a lot of the pitching stuff, and my dad, you know, they would kind of do a lot of research on, on, on hitting as well. And... I don't know. Like that's I, I, I kind of grew up with all of that around me. I remember coming home one day and um, you know Eric Karros was sitting in our living room. You know, and my dad was I was in high school and my dad was going through video. You know, with him of, of different players and his swing and all that. So um, when I started teaching in two thousand three, two thousand four, you know, I have really good friends on the East Coast, great pitching people, the Pinkman Baseball Academy out there in, in Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Hey, you should check out this video software. It's a golf software, but it works great." And I'm like, "Okay." And then boom, started using. You know, I implemented that right away. So I had been using video, and then all of a sudden, Blast comes out. You know where the sensors come out. I went through all the sensors, right? So everybody sent me a, you know, Zep sent me a sensor. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Let's, you know, see how this. Is. And then uh, Diamond Kinetics. I had Diamond Kinetics. I was like, okay, you know this. And then Blast. I just settled on Blast for its ease of use, and um, I haven't had any issues with it. It's been very easy to manage with my players. So yes, it's a learning curve because I'm like, okay, this player's doing this. I know in my brain what it looks like when I throw to them. Right, I know what the ball's doing off the bat. I can tell what kind of spin it has. I can tell where the bat goes at point of contact. It goes up too high. It goes down too too low. I know, but now all of a sudden, I can I can relate that to maybe what's happening with the bat, right? Because blast, you know, has it, and then I can chart that back to video and say, okay, where is that? Because blast does your metrics at contact. You know, it gives you your final metrics. This was your attack angle, how much you're swinging up. You know, this is how much your barrel has dropped. This is whatever, how long it takes you to get to contact. But yeah. I like to see the story leading up to that. Mm-hmm. I like to see what the metrics are doing from launch building up to contact because a lot of players can save a swing at contact. Yeah, you can look at my golf swing and be like, oh, he just saved his swing. That's what I do. I have a bad golf swing. 
I shouldn't say it's bad. It's not technically perfect. It doesn't look like the guy's on TV, but I still hit it okay because I have athletic ability and decent hands. Mm -hmm. But that's not what you're supposed to do. So you either shoot really well, and then some days you shoot terrible, right? There's no consistency. So players, baseball players, do the same thing. They can save their swing at the last second. So, you know, I use that that technology to be able to see what the story is before contact. You know, um, you know, every action has a, an equal or opposite reaction, right? So if a player dumps their barrel early, they're probably going to have a flip at the end. Mm -hmm. Well, if they hit the ball between those two points, blast might tell you that it was just fine. Yeah. But it wasn't just fine. So when, when linear hitting came to fruition in the 70s and the 80s, who were some hitters that, and you mentioned some already, but who were some hitters that you could think of that were linear hitters and if they implemented more of the Ted Williams style of hitting, how much better could they have been offensively at the plate? That's a good call. I mean, the guys I think of are um, Ozzy Guillen, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Joey Cora. You had, you know, somebody like um, Harold Baines that was considered a linear hitter. Mm -hmm. You have somebody like Robin Ventura that was considered a linear hitter. Um, but they just had one-arm follow-throughs. Yeah. You, you hate know, that. They, yeah. they, they, they still rotated. They still blocked their front, front side. Their head did not drift forward. Yeah. Um, guys drift forward all the time. They get fooled, right? They get fooled. They get on their front foot. So um, that's a tough one. I would say somebody like Yen, right? I mean, that dude was a really great player yeah. and just a, you know – I don't know, not not a not a dominant hitter by any, but I, I bet he could have been. You know, with with his ability and athleticism, he could have been great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know of true. You know, I mean, guys that really. St I remember Rich Gedman. I don't know why, because my dad. I don't know. Maybe the Red Sox were always on TV. Maybe we used to watch Nesson or something like that when I was a kid. We did have like a satellite dish. You had to crank when I was a kid my dad used to go out there and crank it in the snow it was awesome and, but we would watch we'd be able to watch like every baseball game that was televised simpler you know, back times it's like in the yeah. 80s man this was like mind blowing and, mind blowing um, technology huh? but I remember him always getting on Rich Gedman like this guy could be so much better you know if he didn't swing like you know anyway that, that name stuck out so yeah I really you know without being enthralled in it now I was a kid when it was going on I don't know who was a true linear guy. Mm -hmm. You know, a true get on the front front side weight shift. Besides, you know, Cora and Guillen are the guys that I kind of remember doing that. Yeah, Rich Gedman played 13 years, hit 252, and just 88 home runs. So I see your dad's point with that. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of years playing in the big leagues. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. But nevertheless, he hit, could have been better. But but he hit 13 years. How many home runs? 88. 88. That's it. So he hit like seven home runs a year. Yeah. Right. I don't know if he played every day. I don't know if he played every day for 13 years. But, yeah, I mean, there's guys like Fair that. Enough. You know, he was a right-handed hitter in Fenway Park. You know, you'd think you'd be able to. But a right-hand hitter with a linear mindset in Fenway, probably not going to pull very many balls, right? You know, maybe a left-hand hitter in Fenway could have done a little bit better with that mindset. Yeah. Name I want to throw out at you, Rudy. Yeah. Har Rudy Harmio. What, yeah. what was his style? Don't know. Um, I seen some of his videos. Um, I think I saw videos about standing in a door frame, 
Okay. And uh, trying to stay in the door frame when you hit. So maybe not moving too much forward, maybe not moving too much backwards, maybe not having too much of this. I uh, really don't know. I mean, I, I could make a blanket statement and say that when he was the coach of the Texas Rangers, they had a supplement problem going on mm-hmm. um, with Rafael Palmero and Alex Rodriguez and I don't know who else they had okay. on that team. They had some pretty big guys. So they those guys hit. I will say that, man. The Rangers, it was Juan Gonzalez there. Yvonne Rodriguez was there. Um, they all hit. And he did sign a big contract. He was like the highest paid hitting coach when he went to the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he made it two years there. Um, so I really don't know. I've never met him. I don't know what he teaches aside from that, you know, one thing. But I don't know what he's doing now. Like, he was, he was the guy. I mean, he was like... Oh my gosh! Hitting no no hitting coach ever gets press, but that guy was like, he was on fire. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, I, I'm not sure um, what led to he had great hitters. Mm-hmm. You know, great hitters a lot of times will make a great hitting coach. What about and then when those hitters aren't there, then you know who gets the, who's the scapegoat? You know, if those hitters move on, unfortunately. Charlie Manuel, what was his style? Because he's known for hitting. And I'll give you he is known for hitting. I, yeah. I, I don't know. He's old school, man. Yeah. Uh, I think Charlie is a genius in terms of the mental side. So yeah. that would be my – I don't think Charlie's the guy that's going to break down video and get very scientific on you. But I guarantee you Charlie's watched tens of thousands of pitches, tens of thousands of at-bats in his career. Yeah. And the knowledge that he probably has in his brain about what pitches to look for, how to attack pitchers, how to create plans and approaches – pregame approaches I think that's probably pretty great yeah and I'm not sure how many guys are, are at his level all right one more name Dusty Baker because he's known for hitting as well yeah wristbands and a toothpick like that's what <laughs> I think of uh, Dusty my favorite Dusty quote ever was somebody has them when he's when he managing the Giants you know why do you wear wristbands and he said if I when I get to a point in my career when I don't think I can step in the box and compete, I'll take them off. And sure enough, he's wearing them now too. He's yes, still he wearing them. Yes, yeah, he is. confidence. Um, again, I, I I have no idea. Actually, I have no idea what Dusty preaches okay. or teaches. I think the yeah, one that, thing, that's one I have no idea. The one thing that he was always a manager, you know. When I yeah, you know, yeah. follow them. He st- it stuck out to me is that he liked rhythm. You know, we had a question about that last yeah. week about swaying in your legs a little bit. He yeah. liked rhythm, and he would always put on music in the clubhouse. I read this somewhere. Yeah. Always put music on the clubhouse for his hitters or music on in the batting cages, and it would help them get their rhythm when they're mm-hmm. actually at the plate. So kind of went to the and question I could, that we I had could last I totally week. see that. That makes sense. You know, Dusty, actually, I, I take that back that I don't know anything on it. Uh, Dusty, I, I believe, is the bug-squishing frame, uh, phrase coiner. Oh boy, if that's a sentence. Yeah. I think he was the the squishing the bug guy. Oh boy, because it was it was kind of before video, right? Yeah, so Dusty was bug. like, "Well, you, your feet start like this, perpendicular to the batter's box line, but when you finish, they finish parallel mm-hmm. to the batter's box line." Okay, we know that energy starts from the ground up, so that must be where it starts from. Mm-hmm. So turn your back foot. I'm fairly certain his book 
that he wrote on hitting, and I, I don't know where it was, is where bugs, you know, squish the bug, that term came from. You know, from little kids, right? It was, you know, probably an eight-year-old kid, and they're trying to get him to use his hips, and they're like, hey, just turn your foot. Boom. There, there it goes. And I heard it yesterday. I was, I, uh, I'm back in, in, in Denver this week, so I was at my daughter's, you know, um, softball game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the dads is telling the kid, hey, you know, make sure you squish the bug on this one. So it's still out there. It's still out there, huh? Still out there. Oh, God. It's amazing how it's still out there. It I don't is. get it. It's, yeah. it's amazing how, it's, how that, that has stood the um the dust of time so to speak <laughs> man squish the so he just came out randomly and said hey squish the bug the the dad yeah yeah and i don't even think the kid needed to like i don't the kid was like the her foot was turning <laughs> i just think it was like you know one oh. of those things hey squish the bug and uh you know whatever yeah turn your hips well, but I, whatever it's still there i don't it's think stuck it was easy I don't think that gentleman listens to this podcast. I don't think so. I think he's an accountant. Well, you should turn him on. And, prob- and probably a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I should. Hey, before you tell her to sw- uh, swish the bug, you should take a listen to the lab Epstein hitting podcast. <laughs> that'll that'll win you over some some friends at the uh, at the softball games. Yeah, that's right. Just what I want to hear everyone come up. Hey, can you take a look at? Are you uh? By the way, are you? Do you um uh? sit in a group with people or is it just you and your wife that sit together and or do you sit like in the outfield i played with a kid whose dad yeah. was kind of a nut job although he um he worked at a place where i interned uh years later good guy uh he's mm-hmm. retired now i think but he used to sit in the, he was crazy about his son in baseball i mean he was he was the kind of the definition of the crazy dad good guy though but um he uh he used to sit in the outfield all alone, all by himself, and watch his son play. I think I'm going to adopt that someday. Are you? Are, what's? How do you? Where do you sit? Are you in? A, are there clicks? You yeah. know, there's always those clicks that break out too at these um, softball and baseball games. Yeah, you know, my dad. That's where he and Bruce Bochy became really good friends. Was they would hide down the left field line at our high school games. You know, when I was playing, and, and Greg was a year younger than me. His, you know, Bruce's Bruce's kid. You know, they would just kind of hung out all by themselves. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. um, I actually help coach um, because I want the kids to to learn the game a little bit you know where to throw the ball how to hit a cutoff how to take leads you know how to how to read pitches out of the hand for you know wild pitches and things like that so i'm i'm kind of i'm there actually i'm i'm helping out when i'm in town just to okay you know kind of spread help help spread the knowledge of the game to the to the kids the you know the coaches kind of know what i do and but they're really good about you know not you know harping Hey, can you you know get this player to do this? And so you know, with little mm-hmm. kids, all hey, try this. You know, put your hands here. This is, you know, what the problem is. But I, I'm more, I really enjoy that coaching because it's more game coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 managing a game and getting kids to to learn the fundamentals, which base to throw to, where to cover. Hey, where are we going with the ball here? At that young age, they have to learn somewhere. And and girls don't watch a lot of baseball growing up, so they don't really know. Mm-hmm. You know, runners at at first and third, you know, hey, we need to get it out here. You know, you're you're 10 years old. You're not going to throw that runner out at the plate. You right. know, we're not let the ball. So, you know, I'm teaching them, like, they know what let the ball carry you means now. Okay. Like, no other 10-year-old team. Well, maybe there are 
some good ones that know that let the ball carry you. You know, wherever the ball takes you, that's where you're going. You're either going to second or first. Um, so, you know, I try to just kind of get in there and then, and then I get out, right. I, I'll help a little bit. And then yesterday I went and talked to my buddy who was on the other team. You know, he had a kid on the other team. So, so, so yeah. I'm just like a butterfly, man. I just, I just yeah. cruise around. Social butterfly. So, uh, so basically, do they know who you are? I mean, do they know your dad's pedigree? I mean, are they, do they know that he played in the bigs? I mean, they do. Yeah. yeah but okay. it's, you know, again, it's like 10 year old softball. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's great. Like the head coach is, you know, he's just laid back and, you know, Man, he lets, you, you know, whatever you I wanted. He's like, if you want to do with some hitting stuff, do hitting stuff. If you don't want to do hitting stuff, do, you know, just teach him whatever you can. Can you imagine if you had um, a son, what that would be like for you? Yeah. That'd be insane. Those parents would flock to you. Although you might get more, well, not that you don't get more business from coaching softball, but they make. And it is softball is is very big here, and even in Colorado, it's really big. But uh, it's not at that competitive level yet. You know, she's just she's just starting. So we did get we did get asked yesterday because she's a pretty good catcher. Hey, we're starting a, you know, we have a this was a, a separate separate dad, you know, that was playing in a game next to us and he's like hey you know i'm starting a, a travel team you know we're gonna play whatever 60 60 games next summer tournaments blah 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 and i'm just like oh i don't <laughs> my wife is like no my daughter's like yes you know so 60 games wow that's a lot yeah that's 60 games from like march to july too oh it's not so it's not june to 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 like august no, they'll they it's, they actually start fairly early here okay. with the the travel, and then they usually end by end of July. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. It's it's a lot for a ten year old kid. Well, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, and check out our YouTube page as well, uh, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. We've got archived episodes up there. One just came out yesterday, in fact, so be sure to check that out. We have clips up there as well from previous episodes. Follow us on social media, at Jim Tara and uh, at Epstein Hitting, and our email address, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com, for any questions that you may have. New episodes, of course, every Monday at 9 a.m. We sort of touched on it, but just to wrap a bow up on, before we get to our listener question here, um, to tie things up with our rotational um, versus linear hitting. Did we miss anything? Why rotational over linear hitting? Uh, OPS, right? I mean, it leads to a much higher slugging percentage and on base percentage because people are afraid of you. Mm-hmm. Why are they afraid of you? Because you got a high slugging percentage. So it leads to <laughs> it leads to more runs. So that's that's how it is. But But, you know, getting back to the nuts and bolts of it, hitting is hitting. Like what we're trying to do as a hitter is maximize how fast we swing the bat, how consistent we can swing it that fast, and how long we can keep our barrel in the zone mm-hmm. um, while making adjustments, you know, um, as that pitch runs or cuts and, sure. and whatever. To, so we want to set that that technique to uh, enable us to be successful, mm-hmm. and then from that technique, once the technique is pretty solid. Then it's um, hey, let's compete and let's let's train with velocity. Let's train with spin, spin meaning meaning let's 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 hit some nasty breaking balls. You know, we had one set up at the lab the other night that was filthy. Yeah. Like I don't know, I just had the right mix going on on the on the machine, and it was like it just had a little bit more depth, maybe another I don't know four hundred 
RPMs, you know, with the downward, with the spin mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe another two inches more break, uh, uh, vertical break on the breaking pitch. And it's like most of the guys, you know, after three or four, they start, you know, they'll start destroying, you know, a 72 mile an hour breaking pitch, you know, yeah. something like that. It's the high school kids, 70 mile an hour breaking pitch. Well, this thing was like at the same speed, but it had more depth and everybody's topping them. Everybody's sure. topping them. Everybody's topping them. And it goes to show you why pitchers that are a little bit off the, the main spectrum with their spin rates mm -hmm. are successful because guys are, hey, I know that, you know, a, a breaking ball that's thrown 72 miles an hour usually breaks like this. Yeah. And again, when do they lose sight of it? 10, 10 feet out in front, 8 to 10 feet out in front. They can't see the ball hit the bat. So they're predicting where it's going to be. So if that pitch moves an extra inch or two down or an extra inch or two out, mm -hmm. then the norm all of a sudden it doesn't work so yeah. what am i trying to train those guys i'm trying to train their brains to okay when a guy's got a little bit extra mm -hmm. right and now they have these data points in their brain from the muscle memory now maybe in a game they'll be able to react react to it and put it in play with two strikes yeah and, or and one, better yet take it with less than two strikes and the one thing i love too about about rotational hitting about at least what you teach and we'll, we'll get rid of the term rotational after today's episode but is that you can teach hitters how to make adjustments on the fly, in the box, in between pitches, in the on-deck circle, where with linear hitting, it doesn't seem like, some may claim, but it doesn't seem like that was something that was taught, the mental side of hitters, for hitters. Yeah, it was, you know, again, they're putting all their eggs in that weight shift, right? Yeah. All the way back to all the way front. Hopefully your barrel is on plane with that pitch, and you just kind of keep going forward. So if you're early, you go forward more than if you're not early. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, you know, when, when you get depth, right? Now all of a sudden, you know, you might be able to hit a fastball because it's on one plane, but now all of a sudden breaking pitches are changing planes. And then you get really far out in front on your front foot, right? You can't stay back. You can't keep your hands back for a split second. So change of speeds is really tough for, for players that were taught linear hitting. Yeah. Well, good stuff this week. Let's get to our listener question. This comes to us from Bill, sent to us via JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. He says, this is a long one, so buckle up here, App. He says, Jim, I don't know if I can get a second question, but here it goes. Here you go, Bill. You're getting your second question. We'll give you a third, fourth, or fifth if you'd like. I see your last podcast. If it's good, if it's a good question. Yes. Otherwise, filtering them out. That's, yes, yes, because we do get <laughs> we do get a good amount of uh, questions here, but yeah. this will be our one for this week. I see your That's last. A good one. I'll see your last podcast, or see from your last podcast that I made you curious about the book Swing Kings. That's good. Well, I have the book, Bill, so that's why I'm reading it right now. You do not need to get uh, Jared Diamond. You do need to get Jared Diamond on your podcasts. Excuse me. My question also ties in with your history of hitting podcasts. Like the episode, I'm thinking. Uh, Diamond talks about the revolution, that's in quotes, in hitting, but it started well before he believes, that's with Donaldson, Martinez, Turner, and Judge, and their hitting instructors. As I said in my last emailed question, Mike Epstein and Jake, his son, who made some significant revisions to his father's teachings about hitting, were not given proper credit for their part in the revolution. I have, And this is in uh, parentheses. And revolution, by the way, is in quotations as well. I had always thought you started because of Mike's relationship with Ted Williams, whose book, The Science of Hitting, I still read that book, by the way, uh, was published 50 years ago. I still have it and still read it. It's still a great read. It seems that Craig Wallenbrock, 
pre- uh, predicates Mike Epstein's involvement, uh, predates, excuse me, I can't read today, Mike Epstein's involvement in revolutionizing the teaching of hitting, at least according to Diamond, in the mid to late 1990s, Major League Baseball hitters like Jose Canseco, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez were hitting like Wallenbrock and Mike Epstein would teach, and their hitting exploits were there for all of us to see. My question, who started the revolution, Wallenbrock, who I never heard of before the transformation of J.D. Martinez or Mike Epstein? Diamond attributes the term bad like to Wallenbrock, but I first heard it was used by Mike Epstein. That is true. Also, there were some hitting seminars held at Doug Latta's place, the ball yard in Chatsworth, California, where Wallenbrock first did his lesson. Did Mike Epstein take part in those seminars in the early 2000s, and did he know Craig Wallenbrock? Please excuse the long email, but I felt that putting my question in context was important. Your podcasts on the history of hitting and swing kings got me curious about the evolution of the teaching of hitting. And, oh, I am not affiliated with any business and my email address is just that. Keep up the good work, Bill. Thank you, Bill, for the question. Did you get all that? <laughs> can you, Jim, can you repeat the question? <laughs> yes. Maybe I should have just went right to the question. Uh, so first of all, I don't. Uh, I never heard the name Wallenbrock or Doug Latta before maybe like two or three years ago. Okay. So... Um, I, I don't know, and I, I don't know them personally, so I could I could say that um, the revolution of hitting, uh, you know, I mean, those guys can Seiko Ramirez. Did I don't know? Did he work with those guys? Is that, I, that's what I don't know if Diamond said that. If, if Wallenbrock, I always thought it was Wallenbach. Yeah, his name. Maybe it's, maybe it's Wallenbach. Maybe I read it wrong. I don't sorry, know. Sorry. Uh, no, it, it says Brock in there, so okay. that's probably what it is. Anyway, they can take Manny Ramirez and A Rod. Well, I don't. You know, I don't think he worked with any of those guys. I, I don't know who he is. I don't know. Um, I, I do know the J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner kind of things. They, they, you know, they seeked him out. So, you know, all I can say was, um, you know, in the in the 90s, the early 90s, my dad was was teaching. You know, he was working uh, Sean Green. You know, he was working with I mentioned Eric Karros. You know, they were they were working on all that stuff. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Ted Williams mentoring with Ted Williams. Ted Williams is probably the. I mean, the revolution didn't really hit, but he he was the one that started it. You yeah. know, when he came out with the book, like yeah. that was that was the revolution. Um, so uh, you know, I don't I don't think I know my dad doesn't he doesn't care who gets credit for what. You know, he just is glad that you know hitters hitting is different now, and he's really happy that softball hitting is different because it was so drastically giving up you know, when we first started teaching in the two th- early 2000s. Um, so don't get, don't get it wrong. Like my dad was consulting with major league teams in the, in the nineties and eighties. Mm-hmm. So like that wasn't, um, you know, 2000s when he came out with a video yeah. and 2003 is when I started teaching. Um, yeah. so, you know, the, the whole, I, I don't know who these, these guys were back then, but, um, maybe, you know, they got, they got with the right hitters, you know, mm-hmm. they got with the right hitters that, that whatever I mean you can talk to you know uh, what's his name the the this oh geez a teacher man uh what, what's his name uh the guy in St. Louis anyway uh you know and judge right like he worked with Aaron Judge right so sure. he gets you know a lot of publicity for that so 
Um, I, I, I know, like I said, my, my dad doesn't care. He, he cared about helping people at the time. I, I mean, I remember, so the whole Eric Carros thing, totally remember this. Like it's, I mean, I remember the day, I remember the weather. I remember, uh, cause my dad used to do stuff with the Dodgers at that time. Sure. Um, and so, so this was like probably 1995 would be my guess. Cause I was in high school and yeah, I roll in. It's like, Oh good. Hey, how's it going? Anyway, one thing my dad told him. So Carros used to kind of open up and step uh, in the bucket a little bit. He'd really open up his front side. Okay, so like, you know, like uh, not as much as uh, Chris Davis, age Chris Chris Davis, not that much. You know, maybe a little bit like Bellinger, right? So my dad was like, well, you're not not creating any separation. You're not creating any torque. He's like, "I I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, well, it's okay if you open up, if that's your natural move but you have to close your front side as you're doing it. And Karos used to just kind of stand there very stiff. He didn't have any rhythm or any like pre-swing movement. All my dad taught him was to counter-rotate his upper half. Like counter-rotate your upper half, do the same thing with your lower half. That's it. Yeah. One thing. And he went out and hit like 30 home runs that next year. Sure. It was the most, it was the easiest, you know, 30 second fix in, <laughs> in mankind history. And he went out and like won the, I don't know if he had already run the, rookie of the year or not at the time but he went out and hit like 30 home runs for a yeah. few years and it's like that's awesome so i mean we you know but that's i don't know that uh, does that predate you know i don't know how old wallenbrock was or maybe maybe he was working with you know manny ramirez at that time i don't know or Hanseco. he wasn't working with conseco because conseco was my favorite player and i would have read anything that said if he had a certain hitting coach that's for darn sure so anyway yeah that's that's kind of where we are with uh who are the revolutionaries? You know, I'm, I'm sure my dad would definitely appreciate it, but he's not going to lose any sleep over it. So be sure to email us your questions, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. We'll get some more next week. And speaking of which, we circle back to our player development series, our third volume in that series, and we go in-depth on batting practice, BP for different players, how players approach BP in a slump, batting practice in the middle of mechanical changes all those things and more will be discussed next week as we go back to our player development series volume number trace three fired up about that one actually like that's that's uh that's my wheelhouse i i love that kind of coaching that kind of you know team environment how do we prepare our team and each individual pieces of that team to be successful on the field so I'm, I'm pretty stoked for that one yeah a lot of talking points that we're going to get into next week like and subscribe to the podcast new episodes every monday at 9 a.m don't forget to check out our youtube page thank you for listening everybody and we'll talk to you next week